Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Conversations on Dance. Before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite app to be automatically notified of new episodes when they go live. While you are there, please take a moment to leave us a review. Leaving a review takes just a second and goes a long way in helping us grow the podcast and supports us in this endeavor. We appreciate you joining us today. Now, let's get to the episode. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, we have celebrated choreographer Kathy Marston on to discuss her upcoming premiere for Houston Ballet, Summer in Smoke. Kathy tells us what drew her to Tennessee Williams' play as source material for a new ballet, her casting process, and creating to composer Michael Doherty's original score for the work. If you are in the Houston area, you can attend performances of Summer and Smoke from March 9th through the 19th, with tickets available to purchase on HoustonBallet.org. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, I think this is your third time coming on the podcast. Really? Wow. <laughs> or maybe even fourth. I don't know. But um, we, we love to just do a little bit of a, a catch up, you know, every time we have someone back. So the last time we spoke to you, it had just been announced that you would be um, taking over the helm of Ballet Zurich, which is, of course, an incredible accomplishment and something deserving of your talents. But I'm curious what the last year has been like getting ready for that role um planning and uh learning the ins and outs of the administrative side of the company and um how that preparation has been for you well it's busy i feel like i'm spinning sort of many plates at the moment partly being a freelance choreographer which i was before and still am and also it feels like i'm pretty much in zurich most of the time when i'm in switzerland i live i live in switzerland i, I you probably remember so that's mm-hmm. kind of lucky that I'm just an hour away, so I can hop on the train to have lots of meetings and really get to know the company. That's been a huge part of the get the sort of warm-up process has been getting to know the dancers and the administrative staff, the technical staff um, that are in the house already. Um, and although many of them, there's going to be a big change. Many of the dancers are going with Christian to Christian Spuck to Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is quite normal in Europe, less normal, I think, in the States. But often when directors uh, change theatres, there's, there's a sort of shift of the dancers as well. So it feels yeah. like a, a good opportunity also to gather my people around and some of them will be dancers that are already in the company and others will be dancers that I've worked with in various companies around the world and and then there's new people so one of the big challenges of the fall was um, the audition process advertising and then having a few small auditions and then one larger audition which I have mm -hmm. to say I really enjoyed it was I know auditioning has sort of got bad reputation but I actually really love that day um, and meeting all these people that somehow haven't been, you haven't encountered yet. Mm -hmm. um, and I tend to do quite an intensive audition process. So it was a day and a half. It involved ballet class, uh, a phrase, a contemporary phrase, a task, so that I could see how the dancers work together and also creatively. And then I created a pas de deux on the last 40 dancers that stayed. And so it was, and then I talked to everybody who was there at the end. So it was mm -hmm. very intense, um, but <laughs> enjoyable, I think. Yeah. So that would have been a big thing. And then obviously choosing the repertoire and yeah, all of the normal planning that you'd expect. Hmm. Hearing about that audition process in a way as a dancer, I think that dancers must value that as well, right? Being able to show more than just a ballet class, like just your tendus and, you know, like the basics that you do every day show how you work, right? Because that's so much of what it is to be in a company, not just your technical prowess, right? Yeah, I can't do it from just a ballet class. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So it's, it, I have given a lot of hours to the auditioning process, but even in a private audition when when the dancers come to take class with the company, which has happened a few times, not that often, but sometimes I, I still make sure that I can get an hour at the lunchtime in the studio with that dancer to work with them. So it's, yeah, yeah put in the time, but it's worth it. Yeah. When are you officially taking over the helm? Um, well, I begin as director in August next uh, mm -hmm. this year. Um, but actually, mm -hmm. in March, I will start as a choreographer with the company, which is really a lovely transitional thing. Um, so Christian Spuck invited me with the cellist, the piece that I made for the Royal Ballet before right. uh, the pandemic, um, to come and stage that as guest choreographer in his program before I begin as the director in the summer. So that's a really nice sort of smooth mm -hmm. exchange, I think. Right. I have to say, it's really interesting to me that you are getting this sort of um, inside view of the company before you take over. It seems, I don't know, maybe in America, it seems quite rare. Um, just thinking of, you know, a recent examples, oftentimes the director is just kind of dropped in, you know, you're hired from the outside and maybe they've had some prior association, but they don't necessarily know the dancers. So um, I don't know, it seems it's, like it could be I a think... really big step up. Yeah, I think so. But it's partly the timing. So I was offered the job two years and two months ahead of starting, which is yeah. crazy when you think that many of the um, recruitment processes in the States and in the UK sort of want you to start then next week. I mean, that's, that tends <laughs> right. to be. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think that's the big difference. But I have to say, I, I mean, I would like to to sort of thank Christian because it it doesn't always work so smoothly because, you know, personalities can um, not groove together quite so well. And, and I think we both wanted it to be a really 
amicable and smooth transition from one chapter to the next. And we've made a big effort with that. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Right. I'm wondering if you are able to give us any preview of your first season of programming. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought maybe not. I, I, I noticed that it was not available yet. But, it's all announced well, we, in the middle of March. You'll have to wait. Ah. Okay. Well, we, we will be sure to share that with our listeners. <laughs> it will be like that. <laughs> Um, on another note, I love that you just kind of were very casual, like, oh, you know, I'm a freelance choreographer. When I was looking um, at the number of places that you your work has been done, either a, a premiere or licensing of an older work, it's pretty breathtaking. I just let's see, even um, I tried to find I don't even know if I got all of them in, but you have in the past year or so. It looks like Joffrey, Nashville, Cincinnati, Alberta, Atlanta and Queensland is having a premiere later this year. I mean, how do you juggle all of that? That seems very intensive. Are you are you uh, um, yeah. involved in every single one of these companies? Um, I have companies been, I have been wow. this year. Yeah, it's been intense. I mean, it was from Mice and Men with Joffrey. Uh, I can't actually now remember what Oh, I was in Karlsruhe in Germany with the suit, and then I was back at Joffrey doing um, a new piece to Wagner Siegfried's Idyll. And then, like you say, Snowblind has gone to Nashville and recently Atlanta. So Nashville, I was there for a week to work with them, but they'll premiere it in April when I can't be there. But I, I was very much in the studio, which was great. And Atlanta, I was there for a couple of weeks. And then um, Moving Stills, been in Alberta and Cincinnati. Yeah, I think that's all. And then Houston's taken up a lot of my autumn. I mean, that's that's the big new right. project. And like you say, Queensland is the next one before I start in Zurich, that's another big project before I become director. Wow. And so and what does your calendar look like your schedule? Is that I was thinking like the exact insane. Thing. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary. I try not to look at it too much. <laughs> um what are your thoughts in terms, and maybe this isn't something that's totally sussed out yet, but now that you're taking on this new role, what will your freelance career look like? Do you do you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it won't be as intense as it is right now. I think this year is partly sort of post-pandemic, partly anyway, those pieces were coming out of exclusive licenses. So they started um, being sold around and partly squashing in things before I become director. But I, I mean, I have a contract that allows me some flexibility with guesting. Obviously, my priority will be to create works in Zurich. Um, but we, I mean, I can't announce them yet. But um, the first piece that I make in Zurich, it will be a full evening piece, and it is a co-production with a company in the States, um, which I won't tell you any more about yet. Um, <laughs> and, I, and obviously, that's a wonderful thing, because I like working on that large scale. Um, but these days, co-productions are really helpful for you know the budget, basically. Um, and so right. to be able to create um, and offer that sort of opportunity with with Zurich, with Ballet Zurich is great. It's wonderful for the other companies that that I want to work with. Um, and we'll see. I mean, I think having some works that now can be um, really revived wonderfully without me. I'm sort of gathering a team of stagers who I totally trust Um so that that means that some of the works will be able to to go to other companies without such intensity in my diary. <laughs> yeah, that was that's something I'd love to hear a little bit more about. Um just uh how you 
how you're assembling this team of repetitors and um, people that you know are intimately familiar with your work and who you then are able to trust on their own. Yeah, well, it's a challenge. I mean, it's really coming about rather organically from dancers that I've worked with. So, for example, Snowblind has been staged uh, recently by Sarah Van Patten and Ulrich Berkiger, who were both San Francisco ballet principals. They were both mm -hmm. two of the leads in Snowblind and retired last summer. Um, and so that's perfect. I mean, they, they really are the best people to be staging the work. And actually, Sarah has come with me as choreographic assistant to Houston to work on the creation mm. of Summer and Smoke. And then she will stage it for ABT in the fall. So that's really, I mean, she's taken like a duck to walk to. She's brilliant at it. Wow. So those are two people. Um, Anastasia Holden is actually someone who was introduced to me by the Joffrey team, who I adore. And because they all said she was great, I thought, okay, I'm going to trust them. And it turns out she is. Um, so she <laughs> she staged um, a piece called Moving Still, actually just working from the video and from my notations and Zooms with me. Uh, and she's wonderful. She's actually going to come to Zurich as a rehearsal director. Um, and then Jane Eyre is going to go to Hamburg Ballet next year. Uh, and that will be staged by a team from Northern Ballet who I created it with originally. So, you know, very often it's people who have been involved in the original creations. And then sometimes um, a lovely guy called Luke Ahmed is now staging the cellist with me. And he quite simply was someone that I met via via a friend and had really connected to the work. And um, I just had a good feeling like the, the more we talked about it, the more I looked into his background, his sort of know-how and um, mm -hmm. his passion for the piece. I thought, actually, this is the right person to be staging the work and it's going great. So sometimes it's just a gut instinct, I suppose. Yeah. Right. I love, I mean, you're really throwing me down memory lane here because Luke is someone I met when we were kids at... Uh, he, we did an exchange at the School of American Ballet with the Royal Ballet School um, sent over like all their yeah so I love that to hear that Luke is, is working with you he's so wonderful and yeah. it's so sweet to think of his trajectory from that yeah. you know little Royal Ballet baby <laughs> and then for Rebecca and I we've We've loved Sarah Van Patten since we were kids, too. I mean, she's yeah. barely old. <laughs> she was, you know, she was like 17 years old, like full movie star glamour doing Juliet and Helgi's Romeo and Juliet. And I just especially now having talked to you several times on the podcast and what your sort of like approach to dances and how your approach to narrative work. I mean, Sarah is someone who just innately understands that she can communicate with her yeah. eyes, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it makes total sense. It was very funny working in Houston. She's just fabulous because it was her first job assisting a choreographer, I think. And, you know, I, I didn't want to throw in the deep end too quickly. Um, but I realized very soon that she wanted that. She's totally up for a challenge, um, as she was as a dancer. And so I, we quite soon got a pattern of, well, I'd sketch something out, make it, and it was pretty rough, and then sent her in the other studio with it. And I think she's been every part in the ballet, and there's quite a lot of parts. I mean, she's such a good actress that she just oh, sort of mm. puts herself in, in all of it. And I think she really inspires the dancers that way, mm. as yeah, I'm sure you can imagine. 
That's so cool. Well, you, you already touched on it, but I want to talk about this co-production um, of this ballet with American Ballet Theater. Um, it's so great, these kind of co-productions. We were just talking about one recently on the podcast too. It's like these different cities get to see it, different dancers get to approach it right off the bat. So tell us how this um, idea came about and how this partnership between Houston Ballet and EBT uh, came about. Gosh, I mean, it's just through conversation. Um, funnily enough, Kevin... Mackenzie approached me years ago to make a new one act work mm-hmm. even before Jane Eyre in fact he he wrote to me and he'd seen a video of Jane Eyre and, and something else and said I'd love you to make a new work for ABT and so that conversation had hardly begun and two weeks later he called and said actually something's just fallen out of our Met season next year can we do Jane Eyre so mm-hmm. <laughs> suddenly a Suddenly I was thrown in the deep end there. And (laughs) when I was with the company working on Jane Eyre, we continued to talk about the new piece that I would want, I would make. And Mm. at that point I had been reading a lot of American short stories and literature and so on uh, ahead of Snowblind, ahead of the first work I made with San Francisco. And Tennessee Williams was sort of in my mind, Summer and Smoke was in my mind. And I suggested that. And he said, yes, let's do it. And then the pandemic happened um, and, you know, everything got more complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, I think at that point, Stanton also had begun a conversation with me about working in Houston and we hadn't identified what the piece would be. And I began to get the feeling from ABT that it was going to take a while to come back from the pandemic. And, and Kevin, was, mm-hmm. I can't remember when he announced his retirement, but it was round about all the same time. And and right. so I suggested, um, what about making this a co-production? And that suited everybody very well. Sure. Um, and so that's what happened. That's so interesting because I always think of these sorts of things being like companies get together and they're like, we want to do something, you know, and it's just really cool that it kind of just happened organically, that it was these two companies yeah. that were interested in something from you. And so I love that. And and I just wonder for your process, do you work differently knowing that very soon another group of dancers will be working on this? Or are you still just, I'm in the studio with these dancers, this is what I want for them. And then I can, you know, play with it later and always make changes down the road when another company looks at it. Mm-hmm. Kind of a bit of both. I think having worked with the dancers at ABT on Jane Eyre, they're in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I know um, you know, I can picture some of them doing the material, but at the same time, the people in front of me in the studio are certainly the dancers that I'm creating it on. Um, I'd love, I, I would love to try more of a sort of creative co-production, and that's what I will be trying between Zurich and, and another company. Um, <laughs> in, in terms of, you know, maybe creating some scenes in one place and some scenes in another, and mm. really trying to. Um, make it more of a shared a shared creative process um but no I think knowing that I can picture the dancers at ABT in my head certainly the principals and the soloists and and knowing that I just have to concentrate on making the work really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Yeah. Uh, uh, can you talk a little bit more about... Um, why summer and smoke spoke to you uh i feel like tennessee williams makes a very easy connection for you like it seems like i you know if you tell me kathy's gonna make a tennessee williams probably, oh of course like that seems like right up your alley <laughs> but um summer and smoke is not a work i was particularly familiar with and you know i i could see you doing streetcar or whatever but um why does why summer and smoke specifically like what made you i mean yeah, honestly, I mean, what a great title, Summer and Smoke. I think it's a wonderful title because it sort of intrigues and yet you don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. I think, as you say, everyone knows Streetcar and the Glass Menagerie and, and you know, mm-hmm. there's some pieces that have, and other choreographers have already created wonderful works or interpretations of them. I wouldn't say I would never do a streetcar because mm-hmm. what a fabulous piece <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it's first off that's a full length for sure and I think with right. summer and smoke it I was looking for a one act piece a long one act it's turned out to be 60 minutes but it, it could have been anything from 40 45 to 60 was the idea mm-hmm. um it's a really simple structure and actually for that reason was criticized sometimes in the past by kind of literary reviewers because it's almost too formulaic. Um, so you have the character Alma, who whose father is um, the local reverend, she, you know, she's of the church and she's lives in her mind and Alma is Spanish for soul and all of these things. So she's she basically is soul. And then there's John, who is the son of the doctor and he's a man of science and lives in his body um and you know that's quite simplified and and they kind of despite all of that are attracted to one another and get drawn to each other but never quite make it and because of this tragic unfolding of events never make it they move very close Mm -hmm. towards each other and then life turns out badly and they move apart and so they don't quite ever make it together but along the way, they both learn something about themselves from the other. And I've probably weighted Alma's journey a little bit more than John's in how we're staging the ballet. Um, at the end of the story, she, she, John leaves her, says, no, he can't, he can't. He's, he's turned to his soul and, and she's ready to give him his body and it's not the right thing anymore. But she, there's this very odd scene at the end where she's in a park and the traveling salesman passes and she kind of comes on to him. I mean, she she finds it in herself to do the thing that she's been utterly afraid of for the rest of, for the rest of the piece. Um, and not that she needs to be with this traveling salesman for anything more than the time it takes to to get off with him, so to speak. <laughs> but it <laughs> shows my age, doesn't it? You terminology there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, 
Um, but she finds, I guess, the integration of her body and soul. So she transforms. And I think to some extent, John too, but I follow that story slightly less right at the end of the piece. Um, and I, I think that simple structure lends itself to dance because, you know, dance is all about the body and soul, right? I mean, it's, that's what we do. Um, so it's a, it's a story that can be told in dance. There are some narrative corners that are slightly trickier. Um, but they're full, you know, the, the piece is populated by some great side characters. The sort of soloist roles are really colourful and fun. So it's not just about the two dancers. And actually, I've invented a third principal role. Um, not exactly invented. So in, in the play, one of the important locations is a park in the town. And there's a fountain with an angel statue in the fountain and the water comes out of her hands. And, and to some extent... She's Alma's confidant, like Alma passes this fountain and prays to her, talks to her, shares her secrets with her. And the, the romance with John unfolds in front of the angel, essentially. And mm. in the play, Tennessee Williams says that this angel should be on stage all the time. So it's a part of the set that is always present. Um, but that to me was just too much. I was like, well, we've got a stage of bodies and there's an angel and what can we do if not an angel in dance? Mm. So I, I made the angel a dancer and sort of a narrator. I mean, she's not exactly telling the story, but she's certainly watching the story. Um, mm. I was inspired by a film um, by Vim Vendors called Wings of Desire, which is a fabulous film where there's all these wings that, uh, wings, angels that um, sit on the top of buildings around Berlin and watch the antics of human beings down below. And they wear trench coats and hats and things like that. They look sort of really unangelic, but um, in a very, you know, cool black and white arty way. Um, mm -hmm. And they get drawn into the stories and one of them wants sort of falls for a human being and tries to fall as an angel and, and so on. So I didn't, I mean, didn't follow that story, but just the idea of, imagining how it would be to be an angel observing human beings getting in their tangled relationships and 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 how would that be what would the angel see there and how would the angel feel um so that's definitely one of the new aspects to the ballet uh, new aspects to the play that I've brought in through interpreting it in ballet I love that wings of desire is such a, a beautiful classic uh, yeah. late, later remade in a, in a yeah. worse American version. <laughs> it's a City of Angels with Nicolas Cage yeah. and Meg Ryan. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, Kathy, something that I find interesting is you, you don't shy away from these sort of darker, more adult tones. Is that just what, it, like, those themes speak to you and that's what you're following? Or do you feel like sometimes, you know, 19th century narratives can be very light and almost have no story you know Don Quixote's story is about as thin as they come um but are, are you are you intentionally providing balance or is that just a side effect of these are the works that are, are I have no idea gosh that's okay. an interesting question I've not thought about <laughs> I think I think I have to find the reasons for things um and reasons are inevitably complex like mm -hmm. I, I can't take characters at face value and, and two dimension and, and so on. So right. if I was to approach Don Quixote or any of those other stories, I'd probably complicate them or maybe I'd like to probably think about more, deepen them. 
or layer them. Um, That's what it needs. That's what it needs, Kathy. (laughs) The next, the next thing for you to (laughs) for you to tackle. (laughs) Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the score and how that came about. We've had such interesting um, conversations with you about that in the past. So tell us all about it. Yeah. So this is by Michael Darity. Um, he's American. He has composed a lot of work. Um, I think he says he's drawn to Americana. I mean, oh gosh, I'm trying to now think. He he did something about Elvis. Mm. He's done, oh, now I'm forgetting all of the American pieces that he's made, but very much into American stories. He's a complete filmaholic or whatever that word is. But he, <laughs> um, and and I I just really love his music and he lives in Ann Arbor which is kind of close to Chicago so he came to see uh, Jane Eyre when we did that with Joffrey um, and we had dinner and really hit it off and and I talked to him about the various projects that I'd got cooking and you know hadn't attached a composer to um, and he was drawn to Summer and Smoke so we decided to go with that um, and we work really well I mean I, I it's been all through that kind of well not all through the lockdown but certainly through the la- latter part of the lockdown and then most recently I've become really good at working on zoom um sure <laughs> so so we work we've had meetings almost every week and we actually approach things our individual composition in a quite a similar way so he also loves motif light motif he wants to create a kind of vocabulary albeit with a a sort of melodic motif or a rhythm or a specific instrument, he'll attach something to each character, um, which is pretty much how I work as well. So it was really working through the narrative together and finding the logical progression as well. If this is our theme for X and this is about X and Y, then we need to add Y to it. And, you know, it's there's more to it than that, but... um, we had a similar approach, which was really fun. And he loves a melody, which I really enjoy. I, I love, mm-hmm. you know, I love something I can sing afterwards mm-hmm. or in rehearsals. And he he's not afraid of that at all. So he's written a beautiful score. Mm. Uh, is this your first time working with Houston Ballet? It is, yeah. It is, mm-hmm. right. So I, I'm wanting to hear a little bit more about the casting process. We we know um, we've had many of the dancers on and Stan's been on a couple of times. And um, it seems like I this are, this seems like a natural fit for you already because they often are asked to immerse themselves in narrative works and new narrative works. But I'm wondering how you bridge that gap of, you know, you're, you're not familiar with these dancers yet. So how does the casting process work for you in these characters that you have very specific ideas of? How did you get to know the Houston Ballet dancers enough to cast mm. them? Gosh, it's always different, the casting. But in this case, I had the opportunity to work with them for a day um, attached to another trip to the States. I can't remember when, but probably, you know, more than six months in advance of coming. I think it might have been even a year. Um, which was great because I, I could watch class, which, like I said, doesn't really usually tell me a whole lot. And mm-hmm. then I was able to work with, um, I think it was all the soloists and principals or something like that. Anyway, a fair number of people on on the main two characters. So I had in advance of turning up a, a good idea of who might be doing the lead. Having said that, um, Chase O'Connell, who is John, was not in the company then. He joined the company mm-hmm. after that. 
Um, but when I arrived, um, Charles had left. So Chase was the new principal or Charles was leaving. And I tried, I actually spent the first week or two swapping partners quite a lot. So I knew who I wanted to learn each role, um, but I needed to find the right fit, the right partnerships mm -hmm. and the right chemistry. Um, and Jessica was really wonderful as Alma. I was, I was sort of clear on that. And um, and Karine is also beautiful. But it was it was interesting to see Connor, who I adore as an artist, um, what he, the, the magic that came out of him with Karina versus him with Jessica and then what what Chase did to Jessica. It, you know, it just mm -hmm. changes things. Mm. So that right. took me um, a week or so to settle down on, um, but we got there. Um, and then you find surprises, you know, I mean, Melody is just a fabulous Mrs. Wine Miller, who's the mother of Alma and slightly bonkers and um <laughs> she <laughs> she really ate that up and made it her part um and that there were various people that have just you know taken the ideas that I offered and, and run with it so I think that comes from being a company really led by a choreographer um they're used to the right. creative process being given the seeds of something but then you know putting in their own work to to make those seeds grow into something quite unique um so I've loved it Right. Yeah. Can you tell us about um, the restaging process that will be happening at ABT and if you'll be able to be involved with your new um, with your role at Zurich officially taking off by that point? Yeah, well, I won't be there for as much time as I would have liked, to be honest, but right. I think it's actually fine that I mean, it's more than fine. Sarah's going to be amazing. She's I mean, she's just great, as I've mentioned. And she's going to be joined by two of the two of my assistants in Houston, um, Ian and Chris, who have also been wonderful. I have to say the whole team in Houston has been great. So they've been very kind and, and helped that um, made it possible for Chris and Ian to join Sarah. Sarah will lead the whole process and I'll be there at the end for the last week in the studio. And then, of course, for the staging. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be great. When will that be um, in New York City? Do you know off the top of your head? <laughs> it will be October 25th. Next fall. Wonderful. 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 Well, yeah. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. And we are so jealous of everyone in Houston. And I know I'll be waiting for the production uh, in the fall. Oh, I'll be able to see thank it. You. Um, but it's always such a pleasure having you on. And we hope all of our friends in the um you know, Houston area can come out and see what is sure to be a really incredible evening. Thank you. Lovely to chat again. Thank you.